or Wednesday, I don't know, they've all worked together now. Um, I, I was sitting, and it was like 3 o'clock, and I had, I had been kind of tossing and turning, and she'd been tossing and turning, and I, I, I woke up, and I'm holding her, and I thought, if I do this for any more days, I'm going to get sick. And, and I thought about it for a few minutes, and I was thinking, man, I should just put her down and go sleep on the couch. You know, this is this is what I should do now. And I thought, oh, I can't do that. I gotta, I gotta take care of my baby, right? I mean, is there any other parent who's been in this spot? Is it just me? Am I unique? That's great. <laughs> Where you know it's coming. You know I'm going to be sick. It's, it's and so Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon, I I picked up a fever and I I've had a fever for about three days now. So everybody shook my hands. Well, um, <laughs> Um, and 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 I, I uh, as I was preparing the message for today, um, I, I we're looking at Abraham, um, and actually approaching Easter, it might sound funny to look at Abraham because Abraham's I don't know four thousand, five thousand years before. Um, but but as we're looking at Abraham, what we're going to be doing for the entirety of the Easter series is we're going to be looking at Old Testament preparation stuff, where God starts setting the groundwork, and where God tells the story of Easter, and we're gonna we're gonna have a look at the bigness of this story, okay? Um, which is a bit of a different approach. I've never seen a pastor do Old Testament Easter, and so, so that's why I decided to do it, because I wanted to be different. Take that. Um, um, we're starting with Abraham, and here's the background story with Abraham, and my dad, my dad being sick story thing is going to make sense here in a second. Um, Abraham starts out, his name is Abram, A-B-R-A-M, right? And he has no kids. And Abram basically means guy who ain't got any kids. Um, and in that culture, it was a very disgraceful thing. People looked at you, and they assumed that God was ticked off at you, and that's why you didn't have children. Um, and, and to go your whole life without children, people might, you know, would definitely look down on you. There's another spot where, like, Abraham starts saying, hey, I know which one of my servants is going to inherit everything I own. Um, and to make it even worse, actually, he has this wife, Sarah, who's, who's, a, who's a bit of a looker. And, and he says, um, you know, I, what's going to happen to my wife, Right? Um, there's this whole discussion of, of, of um, you know, what happens to everything when I go. And, and for Abram, this is a big deal. And eventually God comes to him. Abram is not a, is not a believer in God in the beginning. He's, he's Mesopotamian. He probably worshiped the sun god. Um, he was a pagan. And, and God comes to him and he says, Abram, I know you're about 90. He says, but if you be my people and I'll be your God, I'm going to fix everything. So Abram agrees. Abram is the first Jew, right? First Jewish man. The beginning of the Jewish faith. He, he agrees to follow God. He agrees to be circumcised. If you don't know what that is, ask your mommy and daddy when you get home. Um, he, 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 he agrees to move because he's living in Mesopotamia. He moves. He ends up in Egypt for a little while. He travels around most of his life and eventually ends up where Israel is today and that's what God promises in the land flowing with milk and honey. Um, and, and so Abraham was promised that he'll be the father of a great nation. He'll have loads and loads of descendants. He'll have a land of his own. There'll be kings in his lineage. And the whole world will be blessed through his seed. This is called the Abrahamic covenant, right? It's everything in the Jewish faith is based on this one, right? It all starts here. And it's a big deal. Um, so as God's promising all this stuff, the loads of descendants requires that he has at least one. One, right? If he ain't got one, he's got a problem. And and the other problem being that he's 90 and his wife is also kind of old as dirt. 
And so it doesn't seem very likely that they're going to have kids at this point. Everybody with me? Um, and Abraham waits. And he waits. And he waits. And he waits. Anybody ever been in that spot where you're waiting for God to do something? <laughs> it's like Abraham waited only like 10 years. So it wasn't that long. It was 10 years. And the guy was 90. He was old. And he lived in a tent. I don't know anybody. I know a handful of 90 year olds. Some of you guys may be near it. Um, Larry, if you had to live in a tent, <laughs> would that be pretty rough on you? <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, you're welcome. Uh, so, so, Abram um, finally gets his son, and it is, it is a huge deal. They name him Laughter, right? Because it's, it's this source of great joy in, in, in their lives. And, and, and it's, I mean, literally like, like something that Abraham waited a decade for. And, and when he's as good as dead, he finally has kids. He has Isaac. And, and then we come to Genesis 22. We're going to start with verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the, mount, on the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. All right, ten years of waiting. Now I want you to go ahead and take him out there and sacrifice him. It, it's interesting, there's not really a lot about what Abraham says in response or what he thinks, or his conversation with his wife. In fact, actually, his wife doesn't appear in the narrative except to announce her death later. And a lot of rabbis assumed, right, there's this rabbinical discussion, if you look at, at the, the Talmud, where they argue about what happened to Sarah. And the assumption is that she heard this news and dropped dead. <laughs> that it was such a shock that it killed her. I don't think that's true. But, but moms, is there any of you guys that, that you know, could, could picture that? Could you imagine your husband coming and saying, all right, going to take our only son, the one that you had as an 80-year-old, or as a 90-year-old, and I'm going to go kill him. I mean, obviously, he may have been a teenager at the time, which may be why there was no argument. <laughs> Thanks for laughing at that. <laughs> um, but, but he doesn't argue, he doesn't anything. I mean, like, we don't get any of that in the text. They pack up and they go. Um, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Three days. So Abraham lives with this for three days. Could you imagine? I mean, his son's as good as dad, right? You know, this is what God wants. This is what I'll give him. Three days. I actually didn't really appreciate this passage until I became a dad, right? And then there was this moment where I realized, oh my gosh. God really asked Abraham to do something tough. I mean, that's hard, isn't it? Could you imagine what would be going through this man's heart and through his mind, knowing that, that not only is his son going to die, but he's going to have to kill him? And that God who gave it to him is going to ask for it? I mean, there's a part of me that might back up and say, no, 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 this one's mine. You can have everything else, God, not this, right? It's, it's interesting, part of the cultural end of this is that a master 
in, in the ancient, this ancient culture, right? A master had the right to demand the first of everything from their servants, right? So if a master, if I had a servant, the servant had cows, and the first cow that was born, right, it'd be a heifer until it has a cow. Is that right? So, I think, until it has a calf, yeah. Well, a calf is a cow. Um, it's a heifer until it has a calf, and like that first calf, the master has the right to claim it. Okay, it's mine. First sheep, first um, firstborn child, apparently in this case. I mean, like, God has this legal right to demand it. And he's got, so he can more or less ask for anything he wants, right? Um, he says, Abraham, this is what I want. So Abraham packs up. He spends three days certainly agonizing over the whole thing and trying to figure out what God is doing. Um, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Very smart man leaving his servants behind, right? Because what might the servants do? They might stop it. And so Abraham takes a precaution to make sure they don't. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. He actually made Isaac carry the wood that he would be killed on. Right? Could you imagine? And this is, the, this is the wire. I mean, it's right there. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and asked, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two walked on together. And from his immediate context, he's right, right? Who gave Abraham the son? Oh. That's right. God gave it to him. And so God provides his own offering, right? Like God gave it to him up front. Um, it would be tough to say, sorry, Isaac, it's you. You know, we're heading up there, it's it's you now. And they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Mind you, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of detail in this. Like, there's almost no detail in the first, like, bit, like bit of the story that sets it up, and now it's every little bit. The way that this is written for, for the Hebrew style of writing, this is trying to build as much tension as possible. The reader's supposed to read this and be like, oh, wow, he's going to kill his son. And, and for Abraham, I mean, could you imagine the tension of this? The moment after moment getting closer and closer to this moment that he doesn't want to face. Doesn't want this. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing for him. For now I know that you fear the Lord God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a bird sacrifice in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name, The Lord Will Provide, and it is, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Um, this, is, uh, this is one of those stories in the scriptures that's caused a lot of discussion. Theologians debate this. Atheists actually often point to this and they'll say, hey, really, your God would ask for this? I mean, is there anybody here who 
honestly, like like with kids, and say this would be a really hard pill to swallow. I mean, killing one of your own children. It's a hard, it's a hard bit of scripture, right? Um, and it's easy to look at it and say maybe God is unfair right now. Look at this. How could God ask this? Doesn't God love Abraham? Um, the big trick with this, when you back up and look at it, um, is that there are parallels. Last week I talked about this idea that there's this um, scarlet thread that runs through the Bible, right? From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, Jesus is in all sorts of places. And if you look for him, you start to see him. For example, Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem was. And so the place where the temple and eventually the crucifixion would take place is where God sent him to sacrifice his son. He didn't say go out in the yard. He had a specific place in mind. A place that would one day have the capital, and one day where Good Friday would take place, right? Jesus was taken out of the city to this mountain, the same place, and he was, and he was killed. Um, interesting, how does God describe Jesus when he's being baptized? This is my son. This is my only son whom I'm well pleased. Um, we see a parallel here. For us, well, for you, God takes his only son and puts himself in the place of Abraham, right? In the place of Abraham, he takes his son who he loves more than anything. And he offers him up as a sacrifice. Abraham has this cool spot, and he doesn't even know it. He gets to know the heart of God um, for us. How much must God love you? How much must God love me? And he's willing to go that far. It's a three-day journey, right? So from the moment Abraham finds out, Isaac is as good as dead. And for three days, Isaac is as good as dead. Until he gets him back alive in the end. Huh. Almost like it was planned, right? Between two men on the way to the sacrifice. I mean, this is, this is another one where when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves, right? On the way there, Isaac is between two other men. Um, it's not as strong of a parallel, but it's there. Laid the wood on Isaac and made him carry it to his to his the place where he'd be sacrificed. What do we know about Christ? When Christ was crucified, he took up his own cross and he carried the wood that he would be killed on. Um, when he arrived, he was. The ram caught in the thickets by its horn. Thickets, by the way, we think of thickets as in brush. In this part of the world, if you think of thickets, think thorns. You know, like big thorn, nasty bushes. I, John's saying yes because he's been there, right? Like, this is a part of the world with nasty thorn bushes. And so his head was covered in thorns, right? Caught with thorn bushes by his horns. Um, when Jesus is crucified, what do we find? What do we find where Jesus, they literally, the soldiers make a crown of thorns and put it on his head and jam it there. So the one that's eventually actually sacrificed is the one that God sends in his place and the one that's attached to a crown of thorns right out of the gate. And in the end, Abraham backs up and says, you know what, God provided his own sacrifice. He provided a substitute for him. And when we celebrate Easter, what we're celebrating is God provides a substitute because you and me and your neighbor and your kids and everybody you've ever known, we're all sinful. We all rebel against God and things, and, and we can't pay the debt that we accumulate. And so God sends his son to pay it for us. And in Abraham, we see some perspective. 
how hard this could have been, how hard this must have been for God, and how much he must love you. I, I struggled with this one as I was thinking about how to, how to do application for it. Um, and actually, I wrote this sermon about four months ago. <laughs> and I put it away, and I said, it's not time. I don't know. It's not the right sermon. And I wrote a different one on Saturday night because I thought, well, this isn't the right sermon. And, and I was looking at the idea of life-changing Easter. And, and I looked at this, and i got to say, um, if God cares that much about you, Shouldn't your life reflect it? Shouldn't your life take up a stance that reflects that degree of sacrifice God is willing to offer for you? Um, is God worth more than Easter eggs on Sunday morning and then forget about it? Or Sunday morning show up to your worship drop check and leave? Every day is what God desires of us. Um, he is God every day, and we're to live like it. Now, mind you, I'm not saying um, I'm not saying that this is a story about us. And actually, even the crucifixion, when we talk about it, it was to redeem us. But in the end, like the Bible isn't about you, and it's not about me. It's a hard thing in this culture, right? We just assume that everything's all about me. You know, it's there to make me happy, or else. Um, in the end, God does this not just to save us, but primarily to bring Himself glory, because in everything, God is is glorified, right? He created the whole world. He created you. He created me. He hung the stars in the sky. He decided what right and wrong is. He, he, I mean, everything that exists comes out of God. And God deserves worship, right? God deserves glory. And when God redeems us, he does it to his own glory. And so if we ask ourselves, how am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do here? Um, the answer is, I'm supposed to live my redeemed life. Saved by the blood of Christ, saved by the Son of God. And I'm supposed to live it to God's glory. So when folks look at me, they say, it's a guy whose whole life is an arrow that points at God. His whole life is something that points to how amazing his God is. It hurts me when I talk to folks and they say, you know, I look at how Christians live and I don't want to have anything to do with them, right? Because I want to stand in a community of people that their lives are giant, blinking, neon arrows that say, this is how awesome my God is. My God forgives. My God loves. My God sacrifices. My God gives. My God uh, lifts other people up. My God loves you to this degree and would give anything to be with you. It's a hard way to live. It's a hard way to live that a lot of people don't manage. It's an everyday effort. Um, as, we, as we finish up, and I know I'm kind of brief today, and I'm abruptly ending, I don't feel good. <laughs> as, as we're closing up today, and as you go out, and as we start preparing to celebrate Easter, my challenge for you today is look at your heart, and look at your life, and ask yourself, if I'm an arrow, what am I pointing at? Am I pointing at me? Or am I pointing at Jesus? That's right. Am I pointing at, at the very thing that everything was created for and by? Um, and ask yourself, are there ways I can do this better? Is there ways that I can pick this up and carry it? Is there ways that I can share this with folks that don't know it? Um, are there things that I do that rebel against God? And I do them, right? How am I digging these things out and honoring God in my life and in my family and my behavior and my prayer 
in my heart of hearts. How am I honoring God? Um, these are the big things we're going to be looking at through Easter. Um, we're going to be looking at them through the Old Testament, so just be aware. It'll be all Old Testament this month. Um, and we're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you would uh, be with us this week. Help, uh, help us to reflect you. Help us to glorify you in everything that we do. Um, help us to be a part of uh, a part of your mission to this world. Um, and help us to celebrate deep down, through and through, in our heart of hearts, uh, with all our strength, with all our will, with all our, all our being. Help us to celebrate this amazing gift, the center of history uh, that took place on Good Friday and Easter. Um, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We actually do not have a closing song, so if you want to rise and we'll finish with a blessing. Oh, we do? Oh, we don't. Oh, you confused me. Alright, if you want to rise and receive the blessing. Um, Romans 8.32 says, uh, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Um, what he's saying there is, God loves us enough to give his own son. If we approach him, if we ask for the strength, if we ask him to remain, how would he not give us those things? Uh, how would he not glorify himself if he's willing to give us everything? Um, go out and do it. Amen. You want this stuff?